welcome to the Rejected Religion Podcast. I'm Stephanie Shea. My guest today is Dr. Aaron French, who was a guest on the podcast last year when we talked about the Mandela Effect. This time, we're talking about a lot of things, but the core topic regards the links between the esoteric thought of Rudolf Steiner and how this is connected to the contemporary UFO field and phenomena. Dr. Aaron French teaches in the International Religious Studies Master Program at the University of Erfurt, Germany. He earned his doctoral degree in the study of religion, including an emphasis in science and technology studies from the University of California, Davis. His dissertation focused on the history of esotericism, secularization, and disenchantment in modern Europe by making a comparison of the German intellectuals Max Weber and Rudolf Steiner. He has published numerous peer-reviewed articles in academic journals and regularly gives lectures and presentations at international workshops. He collaborates on research projects and publications dealing with the topic of the occult in history, spiritualism, alternative religious movements, modern architecture, and sacred space. My conversation with Aaron is, to quote him, a time of exploration. And this is really us going down many different little rabbit holes to examine all of the information that Aaron, and myself too, have found with regard to the area of high strangeness. In this first part, Aaron is expanding on earlier presentations that he gave this year on this topic. He is looking at the relationship between technology and enchantment, or technology and magic, and is asking the question, how does technology re-enchant the world? One area that we can find a lot of interesting material is the so-called UFO field. We are looking at the weirdness that is found here, and weird is not meant as a derogatory term. Uh, We're not trying to validate it at this stage, but in, in doing so, in looking at this, we find that we have to wade through a lot of stuff just to try to answer these questions. And our laughter during this discussion is the recognition that you can't just talk about something simply and succinctly with this topic. It's it's not out of an intent to ridicule, but it's just the recognition that, wow, this is some really complex stuff. So we begin with Aaron talking about his research findings regarding the links between Steiner and J. Allen Hynek, who was a scientist working with the U.S. government in its project to study the so-called UFO phenomena. And then we go from there, uh, looking at the esoteric ideas, how they have developed and have become uh, assimilated into New Age thought Uh, and how that is included in a lot of narratives and ideas around the UFO field. So I'll leave it there as far as the introduction is concerned, and I hope you enjoy part one. Welcome back to the podcast, Aaron. Hello, thank you for inviting me back. I am so happy to be able to talk with you again. Uh, This time we're going to be talking about something a little different. Uh, That's putting it mildly. Uh, We're going to be talking about esotericism slash occult. 
uh, ideas, uh, and in this case, uh, relating to the teachings of Rudolf Steiner and the UFO connection uh, to all the, uh, those ideas. Um, you recently gave a presentation at the Trans States Conference this past September, which I also attended and really enjoyed. Uh, but as you know, as is most often the case. Uh, conference panels must run on a strict time limit, so you weren't able to discuss everything that you could have, all of the information that you have gathered in your research. So for for this uh, discussion, for this conversation, I thought, you know, maybe this would be a good idea just to, uh, let's just talk about all of this. Uh, for the listeners out there, this is going to be a pretty free-form type of conversation, uh, not highly structured. We have some uh, topics that uh, uh, that we've already kind of uh, put down on paper that we'd like to address, but a lot of it will probably also just be a lot of uh, going down little rabbit holes, and we'll just see how far how far we get with all of that. So I hope this will uh, be. <laughs> cohesive and uh, coherent enough for for the listeners out there um Aaron yes please <laughs> let's start with your case study your research findings uh a lot of this stuff will probably be new for me because I haven't heard this yet I haven't heard you talk about it yet so let's start there uh let you know, you just take the floor and and mm -hmm. uh, talk about it, and then we'll just move on from from there. Okay. 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 Yeah, it sounds perfect, and it's yeah. This will be a, a time of exploration. <laughs> exactly. Is what we're doing, and um, I'm happy to also expand on this. So I appreciate this opportunity to to come on and talk again. As you mentioned, I did give this talk at the Trans States Conference recently, um, and then um, it was so much. It was new and experimental. The, that conference, you know, is an art and history, uh, art and esotericism type of conference. So it's already interested in sort of blurring the line a little bit between practitioner and scholar and so forth, which yeah. I like a lot, mm -hmm. also being an artist and writer myself and so forth. So I tried to take that opportunity to go in a more experimental direction with my research. And the results was, at least in the, were, were very, you know, I'm still following up on them, and I think there is something really there to talk about. But because it was sort of new, I had so much material that I wasn't really able to fit it into the time slot very well. And uh, so, but luckily, I was able to give a follow-up talk that was a full hour, you know, presentation, an online lecture uh, that uh, Dr. Jenny Butler invited me to, to give this talk at, at Cork, part of their lecture series. So that should be online soon. And I felt better about that, uh, sort of redeemed in a certain sense that I could there in that one kind of flesh out the whole thing better. Mm -hmm. And we had a great uh, discussion after that as well. But even so, it's still like the very beginnings of an idea. Right. But I, I thought I could at least maybe I'll just do a quick run through uh, of what the talk was about. Yeah. And it will open the door to all of this other... <laughs> Uh, funniness that's going to come in on the heels of just what I'm going to say here. So the, the way I wanted to structure the talk was, you know, the, the, the conference itself was about technology and about, it was based on the second tarot card, mm -hmm. um, or the number one, if the fool is zero and so forth. So the, the magician card, yeah. is that the third? Not the second, right? I don't yes, know. because uh, actually uh, you have the 
High Priestess is two, so yeah. Magician She's two, right, one, yeah. yeah. But then comes Magician, that's right. And so the notion was about sort of, uh, you know, the Magician works with matter. It was about, like, techne and esotericism, but also revealing and, and trickster elements and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested in, in how technology, especially recently, technology and enchantment are related. And because I specialize in esotericism, enchantment for me is this world of esotericism, especially in modern context to a certain extent. So, and that's the world of magic, you know. So, so then technology and magic become uh, a very interesting question to me. And I did write one article that's uh, coming out soon about how science was used as a form of enchantment, re-enchantment uh, in the modern context in Germany. Mm. Yeah, and so, but technology and science, are they the same? Are they different? You know, in science and technology studies, there's this concept techno-science where there's there's no separation now between science and technology. And I think I I agree with that uh, notion, actually. And so I wanted to think about how does specifically technology re-enchant the world? And what's the better example of this than the UFO phenomenon? (laughs) Technological things, apparently, Mm -hmm floating around in the sky that are changing people's lives with lights shooting off them. So uh, this was why I I kind of started this question. And and I did my dissertation on Rudolf Steiner, who's a German-Austrian esotericist uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, Right at the beginning of this whole lead up to New Age, you know, he was not, there was no UFOs. And then it, it, was, it was not long after, you know, it's World War II is when this UFO thing starts. So it was not long after he passed away. He died in 1925. And many of his students and many of the other students of his, his cohort of esotericists who were all alive at the same time, some of them lived on. They picked up this UFO thing more and sort of ran with it. And then and it followed from there. And the New Age movement is a good example of that. So he doesn't uh, ever mention this uh Specifically, of course, the the idea of the airships were a huge thing in the Theosophical uh, community at the end of the 19th century, that what is this flying technology, you know, that uh, special knowledge that we have to to be able to fly and near ships. And and so that was there, but he doesn't really, at least that I found, and Sanders doesn't talk about airships so much, he was much more interested in spiritual beings uh, of various orders and so forth. Uh, But that does come in, obviously, with the UFO Mm -hmm. uh, uh, phenomenon. So, but the way I structured this, uh, it's, it's a lot of, again, this is, I'm already like, this is way too much information. Where am I, where am I going to go with this? But we'll just go and you can tell me to shut up anytime. Okay? Okay. <laughs> the way I tried to start it was, um, with the current trend in, um, which is like ongoing and in process and quite mysterious in and of itself with the UFO slash UAP question, uh, right now. And, a brief background is like there was an article written in the New York Times. It's quite well known now that uh, I think it was in 2017, I believe. And it was written by um, Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keen and one other person whose name I don't recall at the moment. But this article, because it was in the New York Times, was taken you know, with a high amount of high degree of respectability. And it talked about. An, an apparently secret uh, program within the Pentagon called ATIP that was um, uh, study, had been studying UFOs and had actually had uh, valid you know reports and sightings from military personnel or Navy personnel. And then this this article talked about this 
released some names of people who were involved with the project and also um, released some videos that they said were unexplained military videos that uh, was like an example of the kind of things they were seeing. <clears throat> yeah, and so because this thing was so uh, was published in, in the New York Times, it created a lot of a lot of traction, a lot of interest, a lot of like ability for people who maybe wouldn't touch the subject before to start writing about it. So one thing I want I said at the beginning of my presentation, I want to say it here is I'm not interested in in sort of validating or discrediting any of these ideas about theories about people involved in this. I'm more interested in because I like weird things, mm -hmm. you know. I want. I'm more interested in seeing, looking at the weirdness, you know, yeah. um, and exploring it. But uh, you know, one of the things that happened uh, with this was there was this thing called uh, To the Stars Academy, which was founded not long after, or in relation to this article. It's not exactly clear. And uh, this uh, was. Um, there were many people involved. I think most people will sort of know what I'm talking about, so I don't have to go through it all. But the, the, they had government, former and, and current government employees as part of this. Uh, there was authors like uh, um, Peter Lavenda and also the guitarist of Blink-182. Tom DeLonge was, was part of this. So there was a sort of art, entertainment, UFO science conglomerate thing here, and government, apparently. And they were interested in... Um, what they said was what was very interesting is that this is where I got to the technology thing is they were actually interested in exotic materials, what they called metamaterials, materials that are not somehow not of natural construction. We don't know where they came from. Maybe they came from in relation to a purported crash, UFO crashes or events or something. Mm -hmm. And then they wanted to test these materials. And the point of testing them for analysis was was connected to a certain extent with aerospace design, uh, how to use these to create more technologies. And, um, of course, I'm, I'm indebted to the work of Diana Prasalka, who's another religious studies scholar who wrote a whole book, American Cosmic, in relation to this kind of question about technology and um, and the UFO phenomenon. And according to her, if you read her book, you know, there's a lot of, there is this connection going on already between people involved, not necessarily academics, but it could be, not even necessarily scientists, but although it could be, but in the world of sort of engineering you know, and and uh, development and production of technology and design. There is um, people who have interest in this UFO thing sometimes feel they have some kind of connection to this phenomenon and it inspires their designs and, and so forth. And then you have this other element of apparent materials showing up that are also being tested and somehow these are being fitted into the development of technology as well. So like one of the first slides I showed in my talk was, uh, about Area 51, mm -hmm. <laughs> just because there's a sort of a, a, a placeholder in the past to, that we, is related to this that we would that I come back to uh, at the end. So to to finish this part of it, there was this thing, this program, this ATIP program went on for a while. It is still it went on, not the program, but went on being discussed within these circles and being written about, and some of the people who were. Apparently part of it are now spokespeople on TV about the UFO and this thing. They tried to switch the name to UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, as a more respectable way, I suppose, of speaking about it and losing some of the stigma. But another thing I showed in my um, slide was that there's a bit of controversy around all this over the, in the last year in that um, this ATIP program 
turns out, and I won't go into the backgrounds of this, people can look it up just to give you the, the summary here. It turns out that it was actually a nickname for a larger program called the Advanced Aerospace Weapons Systems Application Program, or OSAP, which was actually um, a, a larger study to, to look at all forms of the paranormal set up by Senator Harry Reid and James Lukatsky at a place called Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, primarily, the activities apparently went on here, which was a, a site of UFO and paranormal wackiness <laughs> that was purchased by Bob Bigelow of Bigelow Airspace in order, who's a known UFO enthusiast. And so that was sort of the next piece in this thing. And since then, uh, some people have had a reaction to this uh, revelation that there was actually part of this other program, which wasn't just about UFOs. It was about all of this other stuff. And in fact, not only was it all about this other stuff, it was not written into the into the program in, in, in a very clear way. And in the program seemed to be more about development of, of weapons technologies and so forth, you know. So I showed a picture from one well-known YouTube uh, channel in connection with the New York Post um, called The Basement Office Show. And the, the guy who runs this show, the, the journalist, he you know recently released a show after this called uh, The UFO Lie, Shocking Truth, a Pentagon OSAP Program. There's another individual, uh, John Greenwald, sort of independent reporter for the Black Vault, who is also sort of questioning this whole thing. So and that's just two examples. There are others. Of course, not everyone is questioning it. Some people are just, oh, yeah, this is, makes sense. It's actually better that we're studying this whole range of phenomena, and, and it's not just about UFOs. But I just point that out to say that's kind of where it is now. There is a bit of a, a shakiness to the whole thing and a bit of a debate going on about what exactly is being studied, what's going on here, you know, what what is the background. And some people are uh, skeptical. Nevertheless, my point was that even in none of that is necessarily matters because you now have um, active uh, UFO or UAP programs being discussed in Congress and being set up as, as by the Pentagon. And, and so in a major official way, the UFO UAP question is now mainstream in the White House, you know, in Congress being part of the discussion, all framed within the sense of, does this pose a national security threat? Which, of course, going back to Project, Project Blue Book and, and Hynek, which we'll talk about, uh, already had this framework around it. But uh, so, so my point is that Congress, the Department of Defense, and the Pentagon are now taking UFOs seriously. And some of them are even suggesting that whatever these things are, they are not man-made. Um, they might not be man-made. And my entry point from this into Steiner was uh, one way this is being interpreted. And I gave the example of Wisconsin uh, representative Mikey Gallagher, who was recently on a show uh, and said and suggested that UFOs could be us uh, in the future, coming back to us using these advanced forms of technology. So when I heard that, I thought it made me think of something that Steiner had said. And it isn't just uh, um, this representative. There is also a, um, a um, PhD um, professor of anthropology named Michael P. Masters, who is at um, Montana Technological University. Apparently, he also had a connection to MIT. And he's a, an anthropologist, but he's also writing about the UFO phenomenon from this sort of evolutionary biology um, uh, anthropology perspective, also with the technology. And his thesis and two books he's released, he released one this year and one, I think, two, three years ago. His thesis is that the UFO phenomenon is 
us in quotes from the future in the future using technology in quotes so advanced that it's you know it's able to um get around this the you know the space the time space time problem and, and travel back with the speed of light thing and then travel backwards in the stream of time to the present something like that and that's what the experience is so <laughs> that's just part one. I don't know if I should keep going or. This is just dipping the toe right in the yeah. top of the water. <laughs> right. I still have to get to the other two people I was uh, actually talking about in the. Please continue. But okay. if you can see a little bit here, like why this technology, if you think about technology and enchantment. That's my overarching, as a scholar of religion, that's what I'm interested in. It's just I have to wade through all of this stuff to think about that, you know. But that is there, really, you know, technology, time machines from the future bringing back, uh, you know, plasma body beings to us now. I mean, it's a different uh, reality than, you know, is a sort of the consensus reality or something like that. So that's what I mean by enchantment and the technology is another vehicle for this. Yeah, so the the connection that I wanted to make, though, not only with Steiner and this evolutionary aspect, but was with uh, uh, J. Allen Hynek. And so what I had learned was that Hynek was interested in Rudolf Steiner. And so this gave me more pause and made me want to understand how that connection worked. And because Steiner is, you know, very prominent esotericist, very influential. Hynek, very influential in the UFO history of the of ufology, but also very influential and uh, very, um, you know, revolutionary scientist and astronomer also. So I wanted to see how does this uh, fit together. So the second part of my talk was about J. Allen Hynek. And he was, of course, a professional astronomer. And he worked at various, very, uh, very reputable observatories. And he was also at, at Northwestern University for a while working. During the war, he helped to develop uh, the top-secret proximity fuse, um, which is a way of uh, testing rockets. And I wanted to just mention this book, where, I getting, where I'm getting a lot of this information about uh, Hynek. It just came out recently. It's called The Close Encounters Man, How One Man Made the World Believe in UFOs by Mark O'Connell. So this is like a, the kind of first full-length biography on Hynek, which goes into some of these Steiner connections, actually. But you also find a lot of biography information in Jacques Vallée's published diaries about this. So that was another area I was, I was looking. So, um, yeah, Heineck, he, he, in his science work, well, in his astronomy work, he was, you know, very much connected to and instrumental into, in, um, classifying stars and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but he also had worked in, during the war on this weapons, uh, tracking systems. He was also part of, uh, tracking man-made objects in Earth, not just uh, rockets or missiles, but also satellites. So he was he was there during the whole Sputnik thing. But, you know, this this is also the UFO moment, this Cold War, this Cold War thing. So that's like his scientific career in, in a nutshell. But then he also got involved in the UFO thing, and he worked for Project Sign, which later became Project Blue Book. And most people, I think, know what Project Blue Book is, and now there was like a show about it apparently recently also, I think. And this was like an attempt to, again, like, as these UFO sightings were showing up, the government wanted to find out what are they? Is there some kind of threat really? Are they actually like, are they just something from a foreign adversary? Are they, are they something from Mars, you know, or something? Or are they, um, what are they? So, yeah. So people sort of know, I think the story about that. So I don't have to go into it too much just to say that he, 
he was the, the the idea is like he was part of why it's a little bit uh, controversial is he was he was part of classifying UFO uh, reports, sort of part in part debunking them. I mean, the book goes into a little bit about how he felt pressured also at some points to like just get rid of this uh, by his people who had been giving him these tasks in the in the higher ups in the in the Pentagon or the Department of Defense or wherever. And he did do that, and he did debunk things. But he also, you could see him looking at it like a scientist too. You know, to, especially if you're interested in, in uh, you know, um, how li- how light interacts and you know with human perception and so forth, which he was already, uh, and weather in terms of weather also. But he also, you could tell, did take it seriously. And eventually, oh, it's another long story. Eventually, he kind of breaks with this whole, the government tries to kind of shut down the program, basically, and he, he's part of this, actually, of shutting down the whole question. But then he kind of steps away from that, and this, according to him, this allows him to really study it as a, he wants to study this UFO phenomenon as a uh, scientist, in a scientific way. And so it's almost like you get this blue book debunking, but also not. I mean, he did make attempts to try to legitimate certain claims, certain uh, reports. This then gets, um, like, uh, this is like one chapter, and then when this thing gets supposedly uh, shut down, he then moves on, starts his own research center, and now he wants to study the UFO phenomenon with, uh, in a scientific way, and doing his own thing without this oversight or something. Mm-hmm. And part of this, he... Um, he meets uh, someone uh, who was a grad student at the time named uh, Dr. Jacques Fillet, who is now quite a well-known author in the UFO field, but also a well-known scientist. And now I'd like to just get very quickly to the connection between Hynek and um, Rosicrucianism, or more specifically, Rudolf Steiner. So in an interview, there are a couple of interviews that came out in which uh, Fillet says that he was interested in Rosicrucianism when he was younger, and that uh, so was Hynek. Uh, this is just a, a quote from one of these interviews that Belay says. The interviewer asks him, interviewer asks him, I was surprised to learn later that Dr. Hynek was also a member of the Rosicrucians for a number of years. And Jacques Belay says, yes, I think I relate in my diary the time when we came to discussing this, and I was delighted to learn that he had for many years gotten information from the tradition as well. We both came to the conclusion, by the way, that we really didn't need an organization to continue this research as there were many sources around, and the kind of research was best done independently. But those organizations uh, were very sincere and gave us start. So both Jacques Vallée and his friend and mentor, Jayon Hynek, had an affinity for and training in uh, Rosicrucianism. And this simultaneous interest, in my opinion, what I wanted to argue, in both science and esotericism, in fact, helped the UFO phenomenon to be better understood and taken from a more serious scientific perspective. So there's more to that. You can find this is one example. I mean, you, when, my, when my talks up online, people can go watch it. Like I show more examples of clearly, Heineck was deeply interested in Steiner all the way to the end of his life, and in Rosicrucianism. And uh, just as an example, when he was going to pass away in the '80s, he had his wife read to him Rudolf Steiner book uh, as uh, as he was sick, you know, and his health was failing. Um, and I think that that's kind of like shows you how important. The, the teachings of this of, of Rudolf Steiner work for him in a kind of almost like religious uh, sense, you know what I mean? Or at least in a, in a sense of giving meaning to, you know, what's after this when I, when I mm-hmm. read from here. So that's Heineck. So we have two parts here. I'm almost done. I promise. 
<laughs> this part at least. The first part is us from the future using technology to come see ourselves now. Then there's the Heineck interested in esotericism. Heineck being very influential in developing ufology as a field in the 20th century. So then I went to Steiner. And this is about, I got a little bit into this when I was ran out of time. That was like all I got through was to about here. Yes. You didn't even get to the actual part. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I, I did mention it a little bit, and I'll just mention it briefly here. That uh, So if you look in Steiner's work, he's talking about many well-known esoteric concepts and tropes. He has his own spin and his own contribution also. But there was one article that had come across where he does where it's the most, the language is the most similar to something like the UFO or extraterrestrials or something. And I showed uh, the, the evolution, the evolutionary schema in Steiner's system, which he called anthroposophy. I showed on the slide that the earth itself is developing through different incarnations, just like a human is. And the human is taking on new forms in each one of these incarnations, even, even biologically and physically. And the planet is also doing this. It's sort of evolving out of material, like the matter is becoming more refined, finite until it's just you know, stardust or something. And so, so oh yeah, and the, the final stage of this he calls planet Vulcan. So the first one is Saturn, you have a couple others, then you have Earth, where we are now, then you have a couple more, and then the final one, it's like seven or eight steps, can't remember, he calls Vulcan. And he says that the state of consciousness uh, in, into which human race kind of enters in this phase he calls uh, godliness uh, you know or the highest kind of spiritual consciousness um, but in this one particular article that I, I found of his uh, that I was reading this lecture which is part of a larger lecture series actually he talks about how God, this is again another rabbit hole that I have to dig up on. I'm sorry here <laughs> see how I can do this quickly in 1879, Steiner says, angels fell from the heavens. They are now sort of evil, fallen angels down here on earth, interacting with people and driving them nuts. So that's happening since 1879. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in my own words here, obviously. But in response to that, he says, other beings from outside of the cosmos, he says, and this is in this one particular, particular lecture, uh, who he says are not human. And this was a, a point of, of confusion for me, which I followed up on in preparation for this. These beings are not human. They're coming from outside of our cosmos, and they're coming to Earth in response to these other beings that are, that are thrown out of the of heaven, basically, and down here terrorizing us all. And these beings want to help us. And how do they help us, according to him? They bring us his, they bring us spiritual science, which is, of course, his uh, esoteric philosophy, you know. But, it, but, of course, the idea of spiritual science doesn't have to be just his his philosophy, you can kind of get the idea, spiritual and science. Okay, somehow bridging the gap between these two realms of knowledge. So so in his words, these spirits are bringing, these beings, non-human beings are bringing this here, coming up, showing up more and more, and he says they're going to continue to show up more and more in the future, and that humanity's response to them is to ignore them completely, to reject that they even exist, and to not uh, turn in their direction. So he, he kind of follow, ends the essay saying, well, there's, well, then he says that who these beings are, are the Vulcan us, evolved in this to this Vulcan state, hundreds of millions of years, hundreds, it's like hundreds of thousands of years from now, something like that, coming back to, uh, to um, meet us now to, to assist us, something like this. 
And then that's what's a little bit tricky because well, and I'll, we can come back to this. Like, are they human or not? Uh, he says they're not human. They're from out of the cosmos, but they're apparently us. We are human, and we are in the cosmos. Uh, who are these? You know, how is it the same thing? But uh, at any rate, he says that they're coming back to help us, and we are ignoring them. So he says, like, the, the way to get out of this problem, he says, is we have to turn our attention to this cosmos. Like, look up, basically, because that's where our he doesn't say this. Our space brothers are coming. <laughs> our space us coming to uh to help us through this difficult time of of darkness and evil i mean there's more to it i then sort of wrapped it up to just show more about rosicrucian rosicrucianism as 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 a as a form of esotericism involved in bridging the science and religion problem and to try to show how heineck was also interested in this he was interested in rosicrucianism through steiner they both seem to be working on similar problems of bridging this the divide between something like science and religion and technology is key also for both of them and so you know this technology thing the ability to, of technology to also inform all of this these ideas this range channel was what my point was and i and you might have questions so i can but if it's not clear you can just ask me but just so i can end this thing but the way we i then ended it was to go back to area 51 right to show that when they were developing the stealth bomber Apparently, there the whole like hide and reveal game was going on. Of like, do we have these new kinds of technology? Do we not? If they were test driving, testing them out there, they looked very strange. You know, this is back in the eighties or the early nineties, I think. Then um, they would be sort of you know, oh, that's weather, or that's, uh, or it was even maybe it was just yeah, it could have been a UFO, but we don't know, and so that's it. So there was this sort of like obfuscation part of it as well. And it was only like when mostly in the last maybe 10 years, if not, yeah, something like 10 years in which the, the existence of this area 51 pace was even acknowledged, like officially, you know? And so the current, so I shift from that to the current debate about UFOs, like people interpreting it, scholars even who are interested in this as it's us using some kind of technology to come back to ourselves now. And then the question of what are the UFOs that we're seeing their technology, but this whole, but they're not technology like my toaster, you know, or something. They're like, um, something that produces this whole other worldview and this whole other state of awe. And it's like, is it just technology or is it, you know, beings beyond our own ability to imagine in some kind of thing that we can't even imagine here outside of, of time? You know, it's like, or is it just a drone that we, we, you know, we don't understand or from, that the Russians developed or something like that. Mm. And it's kept in this liminal space too. It's like, no one can answer any of that. I can answer that. So you're just in this liminal space of, of, of trickiness of reenchantment and, and so on. So I think I'm going to stop uh, after that just to okay, so be where we want to go. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's reflect. You're talking about this, this relationship between technology and magic is what mm-hmm. we're talking about here because but it's interesting that there is this material side of technology that governmental agencies are interested in. And there's the, of course, the stories that, um, that there is some type of uh, advanced technology that we're trying to reverse engineer and understand so that we can make more technology from that, as you said. Um, but then there's this other aspect of technology that is more magic, I would say. It's the, the techniques, it's this knowledge, it's this 
um, way of uh, evolving to a higher state, whether that be physical or um, conscious base, that's still kind of unclear, I guess, or uncertain. Uh, but oh, gosh, yeah, all these things that you're talking about and, may, and many other things, it's like, it's like triggering all these little things that, okay, yeah, I've read, I've read this person. I've read that person. They're talking about this. They're talking about that. And it kind of all seems to fit like little puzzle pieces are starting to kind of fit together in my, in my mind. Very, it's still very uh, unclear, but um, I think we're getting somewhere, at least in, in my head. Um, yeah. The, Another thing that I find interesting about this is, you know, you were, you were talking about the, the stigma that this, uh, that this topic, uh, holds. And yet at the same time you have, uh, you know, accredited and, and, and respected, uh, scientists, anthropologists, you know, other types of astronomers, uh, um, you know, that are, that are interested in this and they're taking this, this seriously. And this gets put in with, I mean, when you, when you mentioned Skinwalker Ranch, even if that was a, um, an official program with, with real scientists, now it has become this almost like a, uh, gosh, I don't even know the word for, I mean, it's, when anybody says Skinwalker Ranch, it's almost as if it's turned into like a, a horror trope or something like that. So I think what you're, what you're getting at here is this tension between the, the perceptions of what's happening within this, uh, within this area. Uh, there are some people who are trying to uh, say, okay, this is, this is valid and worth uh, studying and other people are saying this is just a bunch of bunk this is just you know this is made up this is just a, a farce so then we get into okay I'm just I'm just thinking out loud here we, we get into the back to the uh, to the esoteric uh, teaching I think this this whole idea about us from the future the the benevolent beings, whatever they are, they come to try to help us. This, you know, these aren't, these ideas aren't specific to Rosicrucianism or Steiner. We've also had this in theosophy as well. Um, so these, you know, these ideas aren't brand new, I guess, you know, we've, uh, like Alice Bailey in the theosophical, uh, theosophical society was, you know, also influencing the, the new age a lot. And I find this this link to the New Age movement also very uh, very relevant. Well, and of course, if I could just yeah. pick up on that Please. real quick, um, <laughs> that uh, there is like the Uf the the New Age movement. We could say maybe peaked in the eighties. I mean, I don't know, or at least changed through the nineties until now. I could be wrong, but in what way? Know, what way are you saying that? Peaked? Well, that. You're talking about like channeling and things like that, channeling alien messages, things like that. Yeah, and, and of course it's still around, and maybe it's even having another resurgence now with the internet. But um, 
if I like look from the 1960s when it starts to really get going until about the 80s, there I sort of see some of the major trends in this thing developing, and then after that, you just kind of have rehashing. You know, if I think about the X Files, like that's the end, you know, of uh, of it all. Like <laughs> as soon as you're like having that um, kind of um, farce, farcical attitude and and entertainment thing, you know, it sort of shows where where the you know where the the kind of sentiment is. It could be argued that you know it's it's sort of having a resurgence or something, uh, but you know so so like with someone like Heineck is is caught up right in that generation. You know Steiner is before him, but Heineck is after, and so and Heineck was interested in not only um, Rosicrucianism. He you know one of the things I didn't mention is he bought uh, Manly P. Hall's famous gigantic esoteric tome. Uh, the Secret Teachings yeah. of All Ages when he was like a teenager or something and he spent his money on it and his friends thought he was so weird. So he was interested in these esoteric ideas in connection with the limits of science. In one of uh, his, one of the, the, the journal entries from in Jacques Vallée's published journals now, this is what Heineck says, why he's into this stuff. He wants to see, he was interested in it because these people tried to go beyond the, the apparent limits of science but he also, you know, in the 80s, after he after he sort of had really established himself as a ufologist, and this was his main activity, although he still kept up his scientific work as well, he did uh, endorse uh, some, you know, he did investigate and even endorse um, one, one in particular, whose name I don't have uh, with me, it's in my notes, but, uh, you know, individuals who claimed to have contact with the entities mm-hmm. uh, who were like sort of giving information, which is essentially channeling. Of course, he wouldn't have just, uh, you know, get the stamp of approval on, any, on anyone, but, you know, he did investigate that as part of the UFO phenomenon, especially in the, in the eighties. And like in the eighties, another reason why I think about this uh, peak thing, I, I mean, maybe it's right in like 1990s. I don't know. I'd have to look of when this book um, bringers of the dawn teachings from the Palladians was published, but like, that arc for me, that's sort of like when, yeah, that's sort of like the peak for me. I don't have a good ex- explanation why, but it's, uh, that's my feeling, my okay. sense of it. Okay. In which is sort of the 90s are quite different. You know, 90s are yeah. what's going on. Something starts to change a bit mm-hmm. as the 90s develop and then 9-11 and so forth. And then, well, 2012, some people point is 2012 is the end of the new age because it didn't, nothing happened supposedly, although something might have happened. But but I see already going on the downturn in the eighties. But Heineck was also involved in these kinds of questions, which were you know really you know part of um yeah, they were derided. But that's also why they, I think that they were a lot in the air too because of the people could deride them that uh, you know you could get these these channeling <laughs> messages from from aliens uh, and so forth. So he so he had all of these interests. The the point that I was interested in though is like. Like, that's a thin connection. Like, okay, they're both interested in Rosicrucianism. They were both interested in um, this idea of uh, of a technology. And I haven't quite pulled that out yet. I mean, I, I could tell, we could go into what Steiner thought about technology. Heineck, I only know a little bit, but he did posit uh, from early on this idea that there was a technology that was, he called it like material and mental or something, but he basically means like part spirit. Uh, part physical and Steiner has the same notions that there's definitely a connection between technology and the development of it and human consciousness, human spirit, human subtle bodies, we could call them, right, right. whatever you want to, to name those. So there's a kind of a con- connection there. Then there's the idea of benevolent space beings mm-hmm. um, that uh, they both shared some version of that. But I was really interested in though is 
And this I need to dig in more into Heineck's work to find out if he also entertained the idea that whatever this phenomenon was, was us in the future, mm-hmm. sort of having developed, returning to us uh, now using this advanced technology. And in um, Heineck and Valet wrote a book together. I think it was in this book or it was just in one of Valet's books where he talks about this idea of reverse reincarnation. And uh, this is the the idea. This is the same idea, basically. So, so Valet was obviously interested in it. And those two were so close that I think, well, maybe Heineck would have um, been interested in this idea as well. And why do I care? Is <laughs> because this is a, you find this trope now, currently in connection with it being one of the explanatory uh, frameworks for the phenomenon, which is links. It, it hinges on technology. If we don't have technology, we can't come back and see ourselves. Okay. Only through this technology can we do this, you know? So, so, so that, of course, is very interesting to me. If I'm if I'm understanding correctly, this uh, what why Heineck and Valet and even Steiner uh, were were interested in this is because this was information that was um, given to us, explaining to us how we can evolve to higher states of our potential. I guess you could say, correct. And again, I'm not an expert on, I can't speak for Valet, or I'm not an expert on Hynek, but mm-hmm. something like that okay. is what I think they're both interested in. They're both interested in in um, moving, two things, moving science beyond its limitations. Right. But behind that is also the notion of, yeah, like becoming smarter, becoming more developed, becoming more spiritual, more advanced. I mean, getting around the problem of the limits of science is returning to a spiritual worldview. You know, what is blocking the spiritual worldview currently? So you can't prove it scientifically. Yes. So you can get beyond those limits. You can uh, return, begin to return to. And of course, they don't want to go back to like middle age, you know, uh, Christianity no. or something. They want what Steiner wanted too, actually, which is this new Rosicrucian spiritual scientific uh, view. Right. Which well, you find people exploring this in the sixties a lot too. If this is a good point, and this is also interesting because this kind of ties back into this whole business of how. Uh, occultism wanted to kind of be the link between science and religion. They wanted to be that, that, that third part in the, that to make a triad of, of yeah. Occultism is how we can unite science and religion with, 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 with the occult uh, mind, you know, mindset and worldview. So this is, I don't know if this is accurate to say, but it's, it seems as if it might be like a variation on this with the introduction of the technology in this part. So we're not just using ritual magic. We're not using the more uh, spiritual side of the, of the story, but we're also incorporating material matter into this whole uh, argument with the idea that there are uh, there are technologies that people can use to uh, enhance and increase and maybe even quicken the evolution of the of the species to this higher state to this more perfect perfect state, which right. kind of also kind of really ties into the whole uh, even theosophical uh, society idea of this evolution of mankind that we're supposed to reach these higher states and the uh, yeah, gosh, and how this mm-hmm. all ties together with the with the Mahatmas coming to to help us, you know, <laughs> these ascended masters. 
Yeah, so absolutely. The, the, yeah, the ascended masters were also be- people. They were also human beings that were ascended. Right. They weren't aliens in this case with the Theosophical mm-hmm. Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with this argument that this is us from the future... And yeah, the 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 non-human aspect of it is a little bit tricky, but maybe it's because we're we're uh, evolving f- to this perfect state, which makes us not human anymore, or something. Right. Yeah. Right? And I did. This is yeah. This exactly. And this is something I was trying to also uh, to think about exactly uh, what you said, and and just in relation to to Steiner, um, he makes these two claims. He explains that. Um, we're us evolved into this future purely spiritual state, which is also what theosophists were talking about. Uh, it's also what the transhumanists talk about. I, right. I made a, an article about that recently yeah. that came yeah. up making connections, but I argue in there that they're purely materialistic whereas theosophists yeah. and Steiner are doing it from the spiritual standpoint. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he says he calls these future beings Vulcans traveling back, you know, like Spock, I think is, yeah. I think that's what he has in mind actually. <laughs> Spock is traveling back to to meet us now to help us, thankfully. Um, But then he says, though, that these these beings are outside of the cosmos, non-humans. I looked at the German, and it really is niche mentions, not specifically not not human. Um, And this whole notion that these so-called fall of the spirits of darkness, this is actually the first, you know, he says that other, when you read Steiner, he's like, occultists have always talked about this, and it's difficult to find what a cult is, but some people have tracked down that Elvis Levy does actually talk about this year, 1879, as this event happening. So it's at least one place where Steiner is learning about it from. Uh, so they're coming in response to this 1879 year. So, but the Vulcans are coming, uh, they're both us and not only us, in that there are sort of other beings involved here. So these ascended masters, at least in Steiner's case, these ascended masters you talked about for Steiner, there are, there's not just us here. There is a, there's a whole uh, economy, you know, whole uh, ecosystem, I'm sorry, ecosystem of spiritual beings out there at various stages of evolution and elementals doing all sorts of things Mm -hmm. involved in the process. So this, and they are weaving in and out of us all the time also. So this, this sort of idea that anyone is just them is, is sort of not true for Steiner in, from the perspective of the spiritual spiritual realm. Like people are always sort of their boundaries are are are, loose, are blurry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and fuzzy, and they they interpenetrate, and so on. Not just people, but in the in, in the sort of from spiritual realm we're talking about. You're not physical, but also these other beings that he talks about. So when he says that the Vulcans are coming from the future to the past, uh, it is us, but it's also it's us with all of these other beings in a certain sense involved in this return process. So you kind of can't, uh, you know, if you try to use the concepts of space and time in the sense that we're used to, you can't really like get an, a proper idea in my opinion. I don't think to, to try to understand what is he, what is he talking about here? I mean, I think what he's talking about is like our spirits commingle with these other spirits and each other as we develop. And so in this future point this uh, Vulcan period yes it's like us from today but it's this whole sort of morphological process has mm-hmm. happened and it's this thing uh, returning to us and so I went back to see he, he, it's, he's clearly he's clearly not talking about two different beings the beings coming that he says are coming to help us are these us in the future this Vulcan but they're not human and they're not from this cosmos 
So I think why he would say it like that is because he has this, and Theosophists would also speak this way, this much larger sort of picture mm-hmm. of, of development of the, you know, everything is evolving. I wanted to go back to one thing that you mentioned here, why I think science is the, the uh, re-enchanter uh, extraordinaire is because why do we have all these ideas? Why are they able to even come up with this? Is because of the idea of evolution. Uh, you know, the, the, they did the the these 19th century occultists and theosophists. They did want to bring together, and the, well, it starts with the Rosicrucians, at least in Europe. Somehow, bring together science and religion. But um, the 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 main hot uh, scientific concept in the 19th century was evolution. So many, you know, religious groups which would had problems with this, well, even until today, and want to reject this concept, even that whatever evidence we have to support it and so forth. Uh, but the theosophists tried to accept it. They rejected Darwinian evolution, though. They said, mm-hmm. yes, evolution is real and important, but not Darwin's. His is uh, mis- misleading or his is uh, materialistic or, or something. Mm-hmm. But it is true. And so now you now everything has to be evolving as soon as you accept this into something. Either it's just random, uh, based on conditions, natural conditions, or with these theosophists and everyone, there is a whole groups of other beings involved in this process yeah. evolving with us. The matter is evolving. Yeah, yeah. So it's fascinating to me that when you, as soon as you introduce that concept of evolution, then you get to the transhumanist, you get to all of these ideas uh, we're talking about here, which can't even really have legs at all if you don't have this evolutionary concept. That's a good point. talking about uh, you know really connects well to the new age ideas that are uh linked you know, kind of embedded in the ufo phenomena uh about the benevolent aliens bringing us messages um you sent me a link to a website this morning that i i was i just I didn't have enough time to look at all of the different links on the website, but it does give me real new age vibes. It's called universe-people.com. And then on the page itself, it says heavenly-angels.org. Um, I'd like you to to talk about this in a, in just a, just a bit. Um, the one thing well, that I, I mostly just sent you that just it was like a, sending you a, a morning coffee, you know, or something. Oh. So like, as soon as you see it, you go, <laughs> you're awake, you know. <laughs> All you need is the single, the initial impression, yeah. and then that uh, the colors, you know, the beautiful yeah. colors and images. <laughs> yeah, very uh, rainbow-like uh, colors. There's even a rainbow on the page. Talks with teachings from my cosmic friends. This really ties into 
this one person that I'm familiar with called Barbara Lamb. She's a therapist uh, doing hypnotic regression work. Uh, that's a controversial subject in and of itself. Uh, but let's, you know, let's, let's just take this seriously and let's just go with it. She works with people who claim to be abducted by extraterrestrial beings, although she doesn't like to say abductions. She likes to say experiencers instead of uh, abducted people. She likes to call it experiencers. Uh, but she also uh, regresses people it, through this hypnosis to kind of you know, remember what happened to them uh, during these experiences. And she also claims that she works with people that call themselves hybrid human beings. So this kind of links in with this notion of the not entirely human, non-human, or this kind of morphing into something other than human uh, with these hybrids. Uh, at this point in, in the story and the way that it is explained, um, hybrids are, they are half human and half something else, something non-human. Uh, but that is just at the stage where, where people are at right now. So it, I guess the stage in the evolution where pe people are at. But anyway, this, this lady, Barbara Lamb, is very, very active in the UFO community. Uh, she also uh, investigates crop circles and things like that. So she's, you know, really into, into all of that. You find her all over YouTube. Uh, but the, the whole idea of these, this benevolence, uh, you know, the idea of benevolence and the idea of helping people to try to reach, uh, you know, a higher state of consciousness or a higher evolutionary state. Um, she, in a presentation that she gave, this is, I guess, maybe eight or nine years ago by now, um, she was at uh, this big UFO conference and she was talking about how the people that she's worked with that that the experiencers, as she calls it, um, that their narratives include uh, messages from these extraterrestrials or the ETs um, that they want to help humans. Uh, but another thing that I found interesting, and have you heard anything about this in your research, is that some of these ETs, according to the narratives that she shared, uh, had engineered helped to engineer the human race and realized that um and they regret also that they created various flaws in the human species such as aggression and greed and um, need for power warmongering and you know all the, the fear feelings of superiority domination all etc etc and that these ets are now coming back to tweak us to try to help us to get over all of these flaws and to try to make us into better people have you heard anything like that yeah i mean absolutely it's um <laughs> it's really funny as i listen to you talk because i can i see more clearly like it's framed in different language, but it's like the same thing yeah. you're reading in Steiner and Theosophy. Yeah. Just it's like a, a new spin on it, but it's yeah. really is part of the same. It's really interesting. And of course I, I had thought about that, but as I hear you talking, we're th I'm thinking about Steiner. He basically says all of that too, just in a totally uh, different kind of context and time. So this hypnotic regression thing is not uh, being used uh, of course, people are having experiences like Steiner went around, to, had lots of followers and went around and talked to them. And you can find in some of his 
uh, his, his, his letters and people who wrote to him of people having spiritual experiences of light. And, you know, some of them might even sound a fire in the sky and so forth, mm-hmm. writing to him to, uh, to, to have him help, you know, what does this mean? And also meeting, uh, you know, in the theosophical context, it's like, are you who are meeting the masters? Who's meeting these people? People are having experiences and, you know, the way it's one can validate that or not. Um, so, so the one piece that's missing is this hypnotic regression thing. And if I think about why was that not there then, it is there now. And I think it's, we, we go through the lens of young mm-hmm. through this whole uh, sort of shift in the um, psychotherapy. And of course, the, the Steiner uh, wrote very critically at both Jung and Freud, and he didn't like this at all. Neither did his followers. Uh, so that's sort of interesting to me to think about. They said that they were taking something living and spiritual, unbewusst. Mm-hmm. The, the unbewusst sign in German is like the this realm, this unknown realm, unconscious realm. For Steiner and the, the anthroposophists, I don't know about the theosophists, this is a realm, this is the spiritual realm. It's, a, of, it's a, of living beings. And when you abstract it into this notion of this unknown awareness realm, somehow related to the psyche, uh, which has those symbols living there and so on. For them, this was his critique that you're then making it, you're materializing, killing something alive, living beings, turning them into something dead. So they did not, even though you would think like young and Steiner, hey, they're probably buddies, right? But no. <laughs> and this is the reason right. why. Yeah. And so I think that could have something to do with, because, you know, you go, you go through that, you then start to come to these, these hypnosis uh, methods a little bit, or at least it's somehow related because a lot of these experiences, if I think about John Mack and others are happening in this therapy setting, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, but so that's just one, my initial thought, but I did want, but the other part that's definitely the same, if we remove this therapy part mm-hmm. um, is this, the hybrid thing, the, both of the, the beings coming negative and good uh, involved yeah. in evolution of us. And then also this, uh, this hybridity, notion and so like somewhere you know steiner has like gave so many lectures steiner's whole he's i'm I'm talking about him mostly because that's who i study so i have like steiner glasses on because i'm trying to write papers about him and everything but (laughs) he's he's written so much and gave so many lectures that uh it's you know and they're all in a certain sense there's difficulties with all the resources too because of the history and because of he mostly gave lectures and people, it was taken with a stenographer, which had to then be interpreted or you gather people's notes. And then his wife was the first to start editing them into actual books. And so there's nuances in, in all of that, but somewhere in all of that, he, he, he definitely says that there are, um, there, there being other beings walking around in human bodies. And he said uh, that it's not uncommon to meet someone who, <laughs> who has another being uh, is in their body uh, when you're meeting them. Mm. And of course, he also talked a lot about um, past life, pa- this whole past life regression. Of course, now it has this therapy component. Yeah. How are the Theosophists and Steiner people doing past life regression? Well, they're doing meditation, you know, mostly, I imagine. They have other techniques as well, but <clears throat> this was also, of course, a massive element. And they all were like, you know, uh, Alexander the Great and like, um, you know, all of these, they would find out their individualities. Not always uh, someone like Alexander the Great, but sometime, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, one one thing that's funny is the Hypatia, you know. There's this fight between who was Hypatia. Was it Rudolf Steiner's wife or was it Annie Besant? 
They both claimed that they were <laughs> Hypatia yeah. Yeah. Uh, in a past life. They weren't like a milkmaid or something, but um, <laughs> but the, the, of course that's there uh, also. Uh, so this remembering past lives in in a therapy uh, in a therapy setting. So you already have this um, sort of note, this kind of fluid notion of, of the individuality, something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's where you get this hypnosis element. So, of course, the hypnosis thing to me, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I don't poo-poo it, but, you know, I would also, I wouldn't just, uh, you know, jump on that without uncritically either, I guess is the way I'd put it, just because you could see how it could be misused, even though I do think it could probably also produce results, you know, in sleep is where you can probably get some of your best right. messages about yourself. If I, can, I do agree with that. If I can interject here just for a moment, just to clarify, the reason that it is considered uh, controversial in this particular case with working with people who are trying to remember things that, that had happened to them, it's the memory retrieval aspect of hypnosis that is contested. It's not so much hypnosis in and of itself as being a bad thing. Uh, because there are arguments to be made for, like if you want to stop smoking or if you have a phobia that you can use hypnotic techniques uh, to try to help you, um, you know, help you with those types of issues. But specifically in this case with uh, with alien abductor, abductions, pardon me, or experiencers, however you want to frame it, it's memory retrieval because people within this field of, you know, the scientific field of how memory works and all of this, they're saying that you cannot, memory is not like a little file cabinet where you can take out the little individual files and say, okay, this is what happened on this day at this time. And I can just go in into my data bank and retrieve that. There, there are people who say that you can do that. And there are people who say you can't do that. So that's why I mean, what I mean by the highly contested, uh, part of it, just to clarify that. So uh, I agree with you that it can also, you know, be used for other purposes. Yeah, no, and that's a really good point to think about that. I also, we talked about the Mandela effect on this show <laughs> yeah. once, and that's also related to that. It was memories. So in that sense, what they're saying is these people are not remembering something that, that's stuck in there. They're Because that, that whole notion is that memories are constructed in the present, at yeah. least to some capacity. Right. So they are building something in those moments that they're remembering. Of course, that doesn't mean they're not building it off some structure that's in there, you know. So it's yeah, it's pretty yeah. tricky. Um, it is, I admit. It's it's a very yeah, yeah. It is tricky. It's kind of dubious you, because you don't really fully understand it. Mm -hmm. You don't understand how it works. Right. So, but yeah, the. I mean, I don't know if there was something else that you wanted to add on to that. Well, I mean, I think I was trying to go back to the the hybrid thing and just add a little bit that that element of it is um, definitely part of it just it doesn't necessarily revolve around this memory retrieval though it does like with past life regression yeah. you know if you think about it um but in in this sense there is well now that i'm thinking about it steiner talks a lot in certain places about having when you have a spiritual experience he says you can't remember it because it's too <laughs> too big yeah so every time you have it every time you have a spiritual experience he says you have it as though it were the first time you ever had it because you can't remember the last, you might have had one, but you can't remember it. This would include meeting angels or right, <laughs> something yeah, like this. Yeah. So you would think in the moment, I'm, you know, having the whole 
range of responses you would have to some being showing up, mm-hmm. this experience. And you would think it was the first time this has ever happened to you, although it might have happened to you five, ten times before. And then immediately when it's over, you forget. So it does have this really interesting memory uh, part of it, which I hadn't actually thought about. But, you know, the hybrid notion, um, oh, I know what I wanted to say. The hybrid notion is there. As I said, beings are sort of weaving in and out, uh, and we're weaving in and out of each other. It's Everything's much more fluid in this, uh, in this esoteric uh, discourse uh, and worldview. And then for, in Steiner's case, which is also, you know, part of this, and I think Bailey, you know, Bailey and the Theosophists also have their own version of this, that these fallen spirits, they, like Steiner's big uh, baddie is uh, Ahriman, and Ahriman is um, not Lucifer. He has this two, this, uh, this two different, um, he's a sort of dualist, I call it moderate dualism that he uses. And this Ahriman which is like the equivalent of Satan and Lucifer is a different being with redemptive qualities. Um, Araman is all about what you said, aggression, death, technology, fighting, nuclear bombs, you know, materialism, science, you know, physical, physicalism in science. Mm -hmm. And so in his system, there are those, there's like a kind of a two, there's a, like a, uh, how do we put it? Like a, a, a breakaway trajectory of evolution in which this being Araman leads people down that road into like the false unspiritual evolution in which they become, yeah, like, uh, um, well, we don't need to go into what they become, they be, but they become like, um, the opposite of what you become in the, in the other trajectory, which is spiritual beings of light, you know, all these, right, right. The, the kind of tropes you would see in new age about like these, uh, these evolved enlightened, uh, light-filled, uh, sort of a streaming light out of them. I mean, Steiner says that everyone will become a sun eventually. So, and then they go out into the cosmos, and that's like what suns are or something. Um, yeah, so so you have that. You have, And they're, they're both, even in this thing I said at the beginning, they're both interfering, or at least, uh, you know, trying to get their way down here uh, with us. So you have the these so-called Aramonic spirits from 1879, trying to push human beings towards rejection of spiritual concepts, towards materialism, uh, you know, over-reliance on technology. I've written about in some of my papers where I've talked about this in Steiner and technology and other papers. And then you have these, these other beings, which are apparently us, I guess, mm. uh, in the future, also coming back, trying to help us. This is like the notion of the higher self, you, you know, yeah. something like that. It's like our higher self. Maybe we want to just use simple new age concepts that our higher self is coming back to to assist us. So again, I I just wanted to say that because if you take that whole thing and put it on the UFO thing, you get some resonances, you know? Exactly. The, the esoteric uh, speak is taken away from it, but basically what you're talking about is the same thing. And I have to add that the, that uh, Barbara Lamb also says she works with people who have had experiences with, other types of ETs who are not these evolved benevolent uh, types. And she, she um, calls them, terms them reptilians or other, those, I think that's the only one I can really remember that she says that these are like lower forms, uh, not, not so highly developed. They don't feel love. Uh, they don't know how to feel love. Um, so 
there are people that are also encountering these other uh, types of ETs as well as she, as she, you know, talks about it. But, um, and I think that if I remember correctly, there are certain cases where people are coming to her for the therapies that she offers because they've had traumatic experiences with these lower forms of ETs. So, and I, I don't know what she does then with, you know, with, with whatever type of therapy she uses. I'm not aware of that. Of course, I'm not in on these sessions, so I don't know exactly what it is that she's doing to try to help them uh, overcome these, these traumas that they have. But she likes to put more of the focus on the good aliens and not so much on the bad aliens. Although there is the flip side of the whole narrative with mm-hmm. the, hip, the hypnosis being used on, on people who have claimed to have had uh, experiences. And this has all kind of gone, you know, very, very badly Uh we won't mention any names here just to kind of uh, protect ourselves because we're not quite certain what the state of things are with, with this uh, particular case. But yeah, there is a researcher who had been accused of doing some, I guess, unethical things, I guess we could say uh, with a patient uh, using hypnosis, not qualified to use hypnosis and yeah, the mental health of the patient didn't improve and actually became much worse. So I think that's in my experience of the whole, of the whole issue about hypnosis, uh, whether or not you should even use it for memory retrieval in UFO quote unquote abduction experiences, uh, whether or not it's even a, a valid thing that you could use. Is it, is it useful? Uh, is it, um, harmful, uh, those types of uh, questions arose after all of this came out. Uh, and if you know, you know, if you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to name any names here because again, we need to try to, uh, protect ourselves. I don't well, if know. I could maybe just yes. pick up on that. Please, real quick. Pick, please do. Because Whitley Strieber's book communion, I think was also based on when he was doing meditation, Gurdjieffian meditation, I know also, I think he was also part of his journey was also with this hypnosis or I'm not sure exactly, but I think that it is a, a central, interesting central part of the whole, at least very like contemporary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the contemporary nature of this whole kind of story we're exploring here, this whole yeah. uh, esoteric or not uh, evolutionary, you know, worldview yeah. thing. Um, it does make, you know, when you first are thinking about Steiner being so critical of Freud and Jung, it's a bit confusing. But if you think about it in this context, um, you know, I mean, maybe, I mean, these people are trying to keep it. Steiner's people, his followers were around him at the time, wanted to keep it in a very more strictly kind of like social, but it's really like a more so quote unquote Western mystery tradition style practice, kind of keep it in there. They wanted to legitimate make it legitimate scientifically, but they were not like willing to abstract it necessarily, you know? And so that was their critique of, you know, in some book I, I read that where, where did the occult, the occult, the occult occultism, where did it go to die? Uh, in Freud's, uh, to, went to Freud <laughs> because that was sort of where, where this whole notion of the occult died. And when this notion of the unconscious was born, especially in a Freudian context, which is a much more trying to, to 
to garner scientific credibility. Of course, now they don't have, there's, you know, now that it's not really, it's problematic now, but at the time it was not. I mean, it was totally, it was, I mean, I think, yeah, I have to look back in sort of the history of psychoanalysis, but it, it, its goal was to achieve this scientific uh, credibility for sure, mm-hmm. which is uh, also respectable uh, in a certain sense too. Mm, so it's just making me uh, kind of reflect on that. Uh, but I thought what I could also just add to that is interesting. Is, a, is So a story about uh, my wife uh, in relation to this whole um this whole uh, story you were telling about uh, about aliens. My wife, uh, Veronica, was born and raised in Las Vegas, <laughs> so not far from mm-hmm. uh, Area 51, actually, and she had lots of friends, even some who worked there, and had they had all these funny stories uh, to tell. And one of the popular, like, um, yeah, talking points about that there was a bit like what you said, that there were these... Um, that there had been a uh, sort of a, a, a faulty line of evolution or, or, or some other beings had disrupted our evolution or screwed their own evolution up. And they had like bred out or engineered out all of the positive qualities, but especially they had uh, bred out emotional capacities. And so they were like completely um, uh, intellect, complete intellect and had uh, lost the ability to, to have sensations and emotions especially like heart-centered kind of things. And this is why they looked the way they looked in this story. Uh, sort of not necessarily heads, more intellect, less body. You know, body shrunk and reduced, heads important because of intellect. And of course, eyes, seeing, you know. Yeah. And so why were the people being abducted in Las Vegas in these uh, circles? It was because they had realized the sort of error of their ways or the problem with this and wanted to breed emotion back into them, into their gene stock, I guess. I don't know what the right word for that. But uh, so that's why they were abducting people and having babies uh, with them. And so this is a whole other area we're not quite getting into about, you know, pregnancies and, and missing pregnancies and so forth. But this was also something going on there. And the reason for it was this emotion, breeding back in this emotional qualities, which we still had here because we hadn't gotten rid of, engineered it out yet. Uh, so I just thought that was kind of interesting, interesting. but yeah. And so, but one more thing related to this whole thing about, um, she had a dream once uh, about being abducted by aliens. And uh, maybe she'd had a few of them, but in, in one of them, this is back then in Las Vegas, she then, in one of the dreams, she decided to get up and just started like kicking the shit out of all of them. And she did that. And she just basically kicked their asses out of the room, you know, the bedroom. And then they never came back again. So it's interesting to me that this whole idea of working out trauma and therapy and, yeah. uh, this is the emotional, like, this is also a part of it, which of course UFO researchers have noticed this and are trying to, how do we weave all these things, uh, yeah. together? But so I just wanted to add that story is it's a little bit related to, to what you're talking about this, this other uh, trope of these, you know, these other, these beings who need to fix themselves somehow. In this case, it was about emotions, you know? Yeah. I hadn't heard it in that specific context, but that makes sense. Why? Yeah. Makes sense. Why the reptilians would want to have hybrid children with, uh, with humans because humans do have the capacity to feel emotion. And maybe that's what they're trying to do. Bring that back into their species. 
So, yeah, I mean, everything is possible here, of course, in this discussion. <laughs> We're open-minded here, right? Absolutely. So, so, um... Okay, folks, we're not done yet. Join us for part two, where we continue our discussion regarding the notion that UFOs and ETs are us from the future, and how this all connects to contemporary popular media, a culture, and even more high strangeness. If you're interested to know more about the works of Diana Pasulka, Michael P. Masters, the New York Times article that Aaron mentioned, or the Basement Office show that was also mentioned, check out the program notes for the uh, links to all of those. And I would recommend watching the Basement Office video called The UFO Lie on YouTube. It is pretty wild, uh, but it helps to give a lot more context. And don't forget, part two is coming up. <laughs>